Welcome to So Dead, a podcast that only exists because our dads are super weird dudes, so now we're weird too. I'm Jen Carpenter. And I'm Danny Fairman. Happy True Crime Tuesday. And happy Taco Tuesday, deadheads. Father's Day is this weekend. Time to celebrate all of the pedophilias out there. <laughs> you like that word? I don't know what that means. It's from, um, oh, brother, where art thou, George Clooney? I'm the goddamn pedophilia. Like, I'm the dad. Oh, I love that. That's, that's all it means. That's all it means? I love that movie, yeah. It sounds like... The word pedophile, so I don't like it. It does a little. (laughs) So I don't like it. Anyway, (laughs) um, so now we talk about some pretty shitty men on the podcast. We do. A lot of them. But in our real lives, like, we've gotten really lucky. I mean, both of our husbands are incredible. Um, Our fathers support us. They're still in our lives. They're married to our moms. Like, we got some cool dudes in our lives. Yeah, they've never murdered anyone. No. Which is, you know, at least, yeah. <laughs> that we know of. That we know of. I mean, <laughs> could be, could that could be a false statement. So, who knows? Allegedly. <laughs> when in doubt, always say allegedly. Right. So, to the dads in our lives and all the dads out there like them, thank you. You rock. Keep being awesome. Yes, thank you. Um, now, let's bring things right on down to the pits of hell. Of course. And talk about two of the worst dads the state of Michigan has ever seen. So, I'm going to tell you about the Skelton Boys. Oh, no. I know. This is a high profile. I mean, even if you don't know the meat and potatoes of the story... Um, you've heard of it. Yes. So, And if um, you haven't, you're about to. You're about to. So buckle up, y'all. Um, that was my non-Michigan voice. <laughs> That's your Texas voice. Mm-hmm. Even though this takes place in Michigan. So the Skelton Boys who vanished from Morency, Michigan, was on Black Friday of 2010. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Um, got a lot of this information from Shattered, which is another Michigan-based podcast. Love Shattered. They've it's done, good. they're a seasonal. So their first yeah. season was Black Friday about the Skeltons. They did a season on White Boy Rick. They did mm-hmm. a season on, um, what was their most recent one? I haven't one? listened to the Oakland one on County White Child Boy Killer. Rick. Oh, okay. Um, they just I haven't finished up, and I think they're getting ready for season four. I can't remember what that's about, though. Ooh. I like um, podcasts that do one story a season. I do too. I mean, I definitely like our podcast the most, but. <laughs> Um, I, there's something about it that just leaves you wanting more. Yeah. Like, tell me more about the case. So anyway. Okay. Um, so Morency is a small town. It is about 2000 people there. Okay. Um, it's near the Michigan, Ohio border. Um, it's a small. Everybody knows everybody. Everybody knows everybody. Nobody's really even heard of the town except. To be honest, people that live there, yeah. Yeah, except now it's made its mark on the map, unfortunately, because of the Skelton family. John and Tanya Skelton were married in 2002. She was 36 and he was 31. It was the second marriage for both. Tanya had two older daughters and John had a daughter he'd lost custody of that lived in another state. Okay. Um, they already had a son together, Andrew, who was born in 2001. They went on, they had two more kids, both of them boys. Um, Alexander was born in 2003, and Tanner was born in 2005. 
They did not like have any gaps in no between gaps, having just children. baby after baby and all Ugh, boys. Yikes. Um, so the family lived in a three bedroom house in Marenzi, right near the water tower in town. Um, neighbors said that the skeleton boys were friendly, sweet, polite, well behaved, and they were always outside playing. Um, Big boys. <clears throat> yeah, they were boys. According to Tanya, um, they were a happy family. They were your typical Midwest family. Okay. Um, that all changed September 13th, 2010, when John tried to run away to Florida with the boys. What? I mean, I would love to run away to Florida. Well, yeah. It's so nice there. But Would you take your kids? I mean, I'd take my kids, but I'd take my husband, too. They're, okay. So, Fair. you know. <laughs> my kids are very old, so I might go alone at this point. I'm not sure. I might just take my dog. I mean, if I were to run away, I'd run away by myself. Yeah. You know, but I don't want to. Good. Um, John was originally from Florida and had been trying to convince Tanya that they should move there, like move the whole family there. Okay. Um, He had friends there, family there. There was better job opportunities there. Um. But Tanya was, no, she was not willing to relocate. So John went without her. And the kids. Took the kids. He took the kids. Tried yeah. to take the kids, yeah. He didn't tell her. He just picked the boys up from school um, on the morning of September 13th, like right after Tanya had dropped them off. Hmm. And so when he picked them up, he tells the school, I'm taking them on a family vacation to Florida. And this is September. It's September, so like school, right, school just started. Just started, right. Just started. And mom just dropped them off. Right. Where's your community? I mean, sometimes Dave and I have shit communication, I'm not going to lie, but that's a huge red flag. Yeah. You know, um, because vacation is not a small. And also, it's not, not like a doctor's you appointment. Do the week after school starts. Probably not. Probably I not. I mean, that might be the best time to go. <laughs> For- for you after dealing with summer break, not right. for the kids. Right, right. Um, so they saw those red flags and they called Tanya and she caught John before he made it out of Ohio. And good for the school for, you know, because especially at right. the beginning of the school year, things are very hectic. Um, you know, they very easily could have just been like, whatever. Yep. Um, but good for them for catching that red flag and doing something about it right away. Right, exactly. Um, so the situation escalated really fast. Um, police were called. Tanya and John both contacted divorce lawyers and divorce papers and emergency custody orders were filed right away. So when like, you say it like escalated quickly, I mean. Like that was fast. Right. They were a normal family that yep. morning. Like he went off to work. She mm -hmm. took the kids to school. They were doing their thing. And then now all of a sudden her kids are out of the state. And there's police, and that's crazy. I mean, like, I think I would do the same. So oh, absolutely. Dave, don't try and take my kids. <laughs> As he gives me the thumbs up. <laughs> I mean, I think that... Noted. Yeah, like that... Yeah, I, no, I mean, her actions were absolutely valid, but just how mm -hmm. crazy that it wasn't like a slow burn of their relationship deteriorating. No, like, it was they like ripped a, the Band-Aid off real quick. Right, that's so weird. Yep. Um... But before John could be served with the custody order, which would have made it illegal for him to leave the state with the boys, he grabbed the two older boys from the family's front yard, 
forced them into his van while they were crying, and took off. Can you imagine the trauma that must have been? Me. Um, The only reason he didn't get all three kids, because his youngest, Tanner, who was four at the time, had gone inside to talk to his mom. So she was able to scoop him up and protect him from John. Oh, my gosh. So she's holding on to one kid who's crying. He's dragging the other ones into his van and taking off. That's so crazy. Talk about chaos. Um, Tanya was granted exclusive custody by a judge, and five days after John fled to Florida with the two older boys, Tanya drove to Florida to pick them up. So she was like, fuck you, I'm coming to get my my kids. I got my court order, I'm getting my kids, yep. Yeah, but because she needed the help of Jacksonville police to get the boys back, a Florida judge insisted on meeting with the Skeltons before he would allow Tanya to leave the state with them. This part kind of blows my mind. Right, like... it, it's the thing of different jurisdictions, even in police mm-hmm. work. You know, some of them right. will work together really well for a common goal, and others are just flat out territorial. So right. I don't care what that Michigan judge said. You're here now, so I, I get to decide. So weird. That is weird. Um, so it was at this meeting that John made his first allegations of abuse against abuse against Tanya. John accused Tanya of molesting their three sons. Which, mm-hmm. yeah, right. 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 Like, yeah, right? Sure. But maybe. But maybe. Because Tanya Skelton is a convicted child molester. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm, the plot thickens. Right. In 1998, when she was a married mother in her 30s, Tanya pleaded guilty to fourth-degree criminal sexual conduct. She admitted to having sex with a 14-year-old boy who worked for her and her first husband at their rental properties. At this point, the judge said, basically, get the fuck out of state, go home, get out of Florida. (laughs) Get out of, how fucked up do you have to be to get kicked out of Florida? Yeah, like Google Florida man, (laughs) right? That's a thing. Um, But I love Florida. I love Florida. Disclaimer, I do love Florida. But you always hear of, like, they deal with secondary to none. Right. Right. So as soon as they crossed the state lines back into Michigan, the emergency custody order took effect. Okay. Can we pause for a second? Of course. So I've heard this covered in a number of ways, mm-hmm. um, and it always seems to be downplayed. Tanya is a child rapist. Right. If it were she was a, a man that had had sex with a, four, a 30, let's say a 32-year-old man who had sex with a 14-year-old girl or boy... You wouldn't get a free pass. That's right. We wouldn't have that shit. No, people would be outraged, disgusted. So it's no different if a woman does it to a boy. And she wasn't just, you know, a 30-year-old woman who hasn't grown up yet. She was married. And she had daughters who, by the time the boys disappeared, the daughters were adults. So I would say they were like teenagers at the time. Yeah, probably older than that boy. Right. That's disgusting. Um, And so to me, she's a child rapist. And she was the fit parent of the two. Right. So if you're in a situation where you've got two parents fighting for custody and the only fit parent is the one that is a child rapist, we wouldn't think for a second if it was a man that Mm -hmm. had raped a child, we would never give him custody of three children. Right. Everybody would be in an uproar. At that point, should someone have stepped in and taken the boys from both of them? And then maybe we wouldn't be having this conversation. And I wonder if because that town is so small that their resources are so limited. 
But know. does the state step in? Like, at what point does the state step in? And say, dad's too unstable to have them at all. Dad's trying to kidnap them and run right. across the country. Uh, Mom is a child rapist, so she probably shouldn't have custody of three little boys. Right. Um, Let's yeah. find them a better I, I think home. that was a missed opportunity for sure. And unfortunately, the boys were the ones that paid for that. Agreed. I agree. So Tanya did have exclusive custody of the boys, but agreed to grant John visitation. I'm not sure I'd be like, sure, you've tried to run away twice with them now. And she didn't have to. Right. She didn't have to. What I heard, what I read and heard um, through listening to Shattered was that she did it for um, to look good in the judge's eyes, to look like she was trying to work with him. Right. I, I'm sorry. If you no. took my fucking kids, we're not working. You literally right. dragged my kids out of my yard and drove them across the, the country. The amicability is gone at no, this sir. point. No, sir. That's right. Yeah, no, no. So the divorce proceeded. John stayed in the family home and Tanya moved out with the boys, but stayed in the same neighborhood and allowed John to see them on a regular basis. Mm. Super weird, but things were going really smooth. I, yeah, and I, I guess, I mean, you could look at it that way, or you could look at it as obviously she's not someone who makes good decisions. Uh, so mm-hmm. um, she just, yeah, I don't right. know. Yeah, but I okay. don't think any of them do. Right. Um, so things were going smooth, except for the fact that John desperately wanted his family back and kept trying to convince Tanya to take him back. But she declined, not surprised. Uh, so <laughs> you... Like you took off to florida but you didn't even bother like taking me right like drop me and take me yeah and that was one of the things was that you know he was trying to get her to move there and she was like no 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 right and when she first caught him and called him after the school called her he was like oh yeah we're going on a vacation to florida you said you didn't want to come and she was like uh you didn't say shit about a vacation. Right. You said, you said let's move. move. What's the right. difference? There's a difference. There's a huge Clearly. difference. Right. Um, yeah, for sure. So a couple months. Also, he accused her of raping her own little boys. Right. I'm sorry. There are deal breakers in relationships. <laughs> right. You try to take my kids. You accuse me of touching them in a, the wrong way. No. No. Pass. It's going to be a hard pass yes. on that one. So a couple months passed. The boys all had birthdays. Tanner turned five in October, Alexander seven in November, and Andrew turned nine just a few days before Thanksgiving. Um, Tanya allowed John to take the boys to Thanksgiving or for Thanksgiving um, with the agreement that he would return them to her on Friday at 3 p.m. Black Friday. Black Friday, which is the holiday in our house. I know it. So <clears throat> she wanted them at home 3 p.m. because her and her family were celebrating Thanksgiving then. Okay. Um, Tanya said goodbye to her boys on Wednesday, November 24th, 2010, expecting to see them again in a couple days, but she has not seen them since. Hmm. So on Friday, November 26th, Tanya sent John a text asking if she could pick the boys up earlier, around noon. John told her they weren't home, which Tanya thought was weird because she could see John's van in his driveway. So they lived that close. That's how close they lived together. Yeah. Um, He told her that some friends had picked them up and they'd traveled out of town together to celebrate Thanksgiving. Then his story changed. He said that he had left the boys with some friends in Jackson, which is about 50 miles north of Morency. And more up towards us this way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's... Where my in-laws live. (laughs) Um, And had traveled back home alone. 
So, like, he left the what? kids. So he took the kids. Super weird. Left them there, and then he came home by himself on mm, Thanksgiving. Right, knowing weird. they had to be home. Okay. Um, He said that the boys were with his friend Joanne Taylor, which was a woman that he had begun an un- online relationship with, and that she would be bringing the boys back by 3 p.m. I'm sorry, if I'm their mom... I'm freaking the fuck out. Right. Because as... Who's Joanne? Right. As someone who has had to learn to split holidays with my kids, Mm -hmm. you want your children with you on the holidays. Right. You don't want to give them up, but you have to sometimes. You have to get creative with planning. Um, And so for her to have let him, which she, again, did not have to do. He had no custody. (laughs) For her to give him the boys on Thanksgiving... Uh And for him to leave them with his online girlfriend that right. she's never even like, heard I'd be of. Like, I'm not leaving What them kind with of you. nonsense? Mm-hmm. I would be furious. Pissed. So his story changes again. And he tells Tanya that he had an accident and thought he'd broken his foot and was on his way to the hospital, but assured her that Joanne would still have the boys home by 3 p.m. Okay. This is weird. Right? Super weird. Like, I would be like, oh. What is happening? I would be like, give this me point, Joanne's number now. But I don't know if I would be surprised at any of this because it just sounds like it was a big old clusterfuck. Of Their whole life. lives sound like mm-hmm. they, it was a big old clusterfuck. So right. Yeah. So at 3.01, the boys were not home. There was no sign of this mysterious Joanne. So Tanya called the police. Good. Yeah. Um. At this point, she's convinced that John has taken off with the boys again. But John is actually in the hospital. Tanya, who is still legally his wife, therefore able to obtain information from hospital officials, finds out that John injured his foot while attempting suicide. What? Mm Mm-hmm. He told the doctors that he tried to hang himself, but he fell and twisted his foot. (laughs) Idiot. Um, Which was why he went to the hospital. His foot wasn't broken, but he was admitted for mental health evaluation. Okay. Which is good. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, I guess... He probably needed that before that moment. For sure. He's giving her story after story. So, yeah, I think your mind would initially go to, he took him again. Right. Of course. Now he's still here. He's exactly where he said he was going to be. Where the fuck are the kids? Right. Um, So, for the first time... Tanya considered that he had done something awful to the boys. If he tried to kill himself, had he killed the boys first? Mm. So police gained entry to the home and found it completely destroyed. Pillows were ripped, like, I don't think just ripped from, like, wear and tear, but, like... Shredded. Like, shredded. Like, it looked like somebody did it intentionally. Weird. They had taken plates and thrown them all over, like... The only reason I can imagine plates being thrown all over is like you were pigeon. Opa. Like what's the pigeon hunting thing? Clay hunting? Yeah. <laughs> skeet shooting. Skeet Skeesh. shooting. Is right. it ski or skeet? It's I skeet, don't know. right? Skeet. I think it's skeet. Now all I'm thinking of or is like Opa. a little John like, song. Like you're just not giving a fuck and a throwing Greek celebration. Around. Right. So the house is just trash so the furniture's I, all broken so i wonder if he like went into a rage and like hulk smashed everything or if he was trying right. to make it look like somebody broke in. broken That's maybe weird. i wonder i don't know like he was trying to set the scene mm-hmm. um so john was in the hospital being treated for suicide well the attempt of suicide and the boys were nowhere to be found yeah um so questions are 
Where were they? Where was Joanne? Who is she? Who, right. Who the fuck is Joanne? Right. Right. So John told police that he turned the boys over to his friend Joanne so that they wouldn't be home when he committed suicide. What? Or just mm-hmm. send them home because right. mom lives around the corner. Right. And it's Thanksgiving and she probably wanted them anyways. Right. You and idiot. they probably don't know Joanne either. Right. But so none of that's true, of course. As it turns out, Joanne never existed. Ugh. Her social media accounts were traced back to John's computer. He used them in part to stalk Tanya online and try to befriend her. He then used the same name in his story about what happened to the boys. What a dumb fuck. He was so fucking crazy. Right. Like, so, I mean, that's pretty common. You know, Catfish is a show for a reason. People create fake social media. So he creates a fake social media as a woman, Mm -hmm. tries to stalk and befriend Tanya, excuse me, using this. Right. And then he uses that exact same name for his girlfriend. Like, there are so many names. So many names. And Joanne. Joanne Taylor is not it. Right. Like, Weirdo. You could come up with other ones. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love the name Joanne. Yeah, Joanne's a pretty name. I'm just saying. There are I, others. Use other names if you're going right. to tell different stories. So then he has another story. And this is the one he's stuck to for the past decade. Um, was that he turned the boys over to an underground organization to protect them from their mother, mm. who was molesting them. Ugh. She'd been given full custody and he had no other way to protect them other than put them in hiding. Sure. That's nutty. I mean, would I do it? Maybe. I don't believe him at all. I think he killed them. I do think that the boys are dead. Back and forth. But that's a plausible, I mean, if that was really the situation. He clearly Mm -hmm. was not a stable man. Right. Uh, She is a child rapist. Mm -hmm. So if he truly believed that she was molesting the boys or if she was and i'm not saying the police seem pretty convinced that she was not so who's to say but if he really did believe that um i mean drastic times call for drastic measures Mm -hmm. so it's a plausible theory but i still think that he killed them for sure right um so at first he said he left them with the amish then he said it was an elderly couple with a farm then he said he had no idea who took them. That was part of the deal. Oh, my God. That reminds me of, uh, like, the Underground Handmaid's Tale network. Yes. Like, trying to smuggle them out, and you mm-hmm. just have to give them away and hope for the best. Mm-hmm. The new season just started. I know. I watched the first I binged episode. it last night while I was working. And, I'm obsessed. Yeah. Yes. Obsessed. I'm, unfortunately, I feel like our world is turning into that. Sadly. Um, Okay, so the organization that took him was so far underground that even he had no idea who they were, how to contact them, and that he should expect to never see the boys again until they were at least 18. Mm. So police, of course, are like, no, there's no sign of this organization. Right. Which, of course, there's no sign of it. Right. You know, I mean, if it does exist, which I believe that some of them do... You're not going to find gonna signs. Find That's the point. Right. That's the whole point. And Tanya doesn't believe this either. The only ones who believe John's story are his parents. And that is heartbreaking. It is heartbreaking. if you listen to Shattered, they actually interview them. Mm-hmm. And at first you're very angry with them, like mm-hmm. you're very angry with him. But then you actually listen to them kind of talk in their own words. And they 100% believe that the boys are out there somewhere and that they're going to see them again 
when they turn 18 Mm -hmm. because they just can't fathom that their son murdered his three little boys. Right. And if he's telling... So it's not even that they're covering for him. They 100% believe him. Yeah. Um, So police believe that John killed his sons sometime between when a neighbor saw them playing outside in their pajamas on Thanksgiving Day Mm -hmm. and the following morning when John left his home around 4.30 a.m. So, I mean, when you first hear that, like, what the fuck are you doing leaving your home at 4.30 in the morning? But it was Black Friday. It was Black Friday. What time do you leave your house on Black Friday? Well, I shop around the clock. I'm a Thanksgiving Day shopper all the way through. Yeah, they keep pushing it back. Mm -hmm. I'm not a We started at like 7, I think, on Thanksgiving. Um, So, according to cell phone records, John was on the move about three miles from home at 4.29 a.m., heading south toward Ohio. About 5 a.m., his phone pinged near Holiday City, Ohio. But by 6.46, John was back home. Authorities believe it was during this time and on this route that John Skelton disposed of the bodies of his three little boys, who he'd likely killed the night before. And so, like, you hear all of this and you think that he's an idiot, right? I mean, he's an idiot, clearly. Oh, yeah. But... (laughs) All of the investigators that they interview, like his Mm -hmm. life circumstance, his choice, where he is now, all of that aside, everyone says he is very, very intelligent. So on one hand, it's like, how have you not found these children? This was an idiot and he clearly didn't plan this well. Right. Um, But then on the other side, they're saying, no, he actually Mm -hmm. is super smart. Super smart. Right. So sad. So John was arrested and charged with unlawful imprisonment. He was sentenced to 10 to 15 years in prison and is in solitary confinement in Bellamy Creek Correctional Facility in Ionia. Ionia. Everybody goes to Ionia. Everybody. All of our stories are going back to Ionia. Sorry, y'all. We're going to have to do a live broadcast from Ionia I know, these days. Right? But I don't want to talk to John Skelton. No, me all. either. <laughs> Um, So he continues to maintain that he put the boys in hiding to protect them and that he wishes he could take it back, but he has no idea how to find them. He was sentenced way over the recommended guidelines. Good. Right. But even so, it's been almost 10 years and he will be up for parole. Um, There have been numerous tips called in over the years and leads that have led to nowhere. So they had found three remains in Montana, I believe. Yeah, they found of the bodies of little three boys. little boys. And everybody was convinced. I thought that it was I was sure it was going to be them. Nope. Was it was not them. And then they just recently dredged a pond in Ohio. Someone said that they saw mm-hmm. him out near a pond that morning, um, but mm. they didn't find anything there. Nope. Which makes me wonder. I know. Um, so authorities... Don't so much question what happened to the boys, but more just where are they? Um, And what is it going to take to get him to confess? So even the boy's mother now, Tanya Zuvers, believes her sons are most likely dead. Mm. So sad. But she still holds on to just the smallest sliver of hope, as does the rest of Morency. If the skeleton boys are still alive... They are all teenagers now. In fact, Andrew Skelton's 18th birthday is in November. Mm-hmm. This November. Yeah. So, I mean, we'll see. This is it, right? I mean. Yeah, but maybe they're waiting till For what? Tanner to be 18. If they So, they were all like two years apart. Mm-hmm. So, if he's turning 18, the youngest one's 14. So, 
they'll be 14, million. 16, and 18. That's old enough. Right. One of them's 18, and they're old enough to so tell their own story. that's old enough. I mean, old enough to tell their own story. Right. Um, and if they pop up out of nowhere saying, yes, our mom did this stuff to us, then mm-hmm. I can't imagine she'd get them back. Right. So I, I think that the answer that people want is not going to come, but the time is going right. to pass for that answer to come. And there'll be nothing. Yeah. Right. Um, so we will post photos of the boys as well as their most recent age progression photos. Yes. So we'll put those on our website. Um, and if you have any information about the disappearance of the skeleton boys, contact Michigan State Police Investigator Jeremy Brewer. You can contact him at 517-636-0689. That's my story. So I am going to tell you guys about an absolute nightmare of a man who killed his entire family not just once, but twice. Gregory Green was born on December 10th, 1966. He grew up in the Detroit area where he met and fell in love with Tanya Clayton, a single mother with two young children in the late 1980s. The two got married in 1989 when Green was 23. Two years later, the couple was expecting their first child together, but their marriage was not going well. Tanya confided in friends that her husband had become violent and that his personality had completely changed since she met him. She wasn't sure if it was drugs or mental illness, but she had two young children to take care of and another one on the way, so keeping them safe was her number one priority. Right. Um, So she began making plans to leave her husband. On July 14th, 1991, when Tanya was seven months pregnant, she called a friend and told her that it was time. She feared for her safety and the safety of her children, and she needed to get away from Gregory. She said she was going to go to church, then return home and pack her things. That was the last anyone ever spoke to Tanya. Hmm. A few hours later, Gregory Green placed a call to 911. When police arrived at his house, he opened the door, let them in, and said, I stabbed her. She's in the kitchen. (sighs) Police found a very pregnant Tanya lying dead on the kitchen floor after being stabbed ten times in the face, neck, chest, and back. Gregory told them they could find the murder weapon in the refrigerator... And they did. There was a bloody steak knife in the fridge. What? Um, They also found Tanya's children, a five-year-old and an eight-year-old, hiding in a closet unharmed. Green pleaded no contest to second-degree murder and was sentenced to 15 to 25 years in prison. That's it? Mm Mm-hmm. His family immediately began lobbying for his release with the support (laughs) of civil rights activists in the community. What? One of those supporters was Pastor Fred Harris of the Church of the Risen Christ Ministries International in Detroit. I feel like that's a really weird sentence. I feel like they just kept adding words until they had a church name that nobody else was using. Well, I fucking hate them. Church of the Risen Christ (laughs) Ministries International. I'm Um, super annoyed by them advocating for him. Listen. It's going to get worse here. Um, I shouldn't say I hate a church, but I'm just upset. Pastor Harris knew Green as a member of his congregation prior to the murder. He wrote at least two letters supporting Gregory while he was incarcerated. A letter written in 2005 said, Gregory and I were friends before his mishap. His fucking mishap. That's what it was? He murdered his seven-month pregnant wife in front of her two children. And that's a mishap. (laughs) I mean, duh. 
I feel he has paid for his unfortunate lack of self-control and the damage he has caused as much as possible and is sorry. He's sorry? His lack of self-control and a mishap. That's murder. Yeah. Yeah. Like... So another letter stated, if he was to be released, he would be welcomed as a part of our church community, and whatever we could do to help him adjust, (laughs) we would. Despite this support, Green was denied parole on four separate occasions, primarily because he showed a complete lack of remorse for the crime he committed. He even blamed Tanya for what happened to her, saying that he only lost control because of the way that she was treating him. Of course. Of course it's her Mm -hmm. fault. But in 2008, after serving just 16 years for murdering his wife and unborn child, Gregory Green was granted parole. And true to his word, Pastor Harris did everything he could to help Green in his new life. He introduced Gregory to his own daughter, Faith Harris, who was Why would you do that? a single mother with two young children. Why would you do... Okay, do we know where the other two kids are at this point? The um, they weren't his. They were okay. her two children. So I would assume they went with went family after she was, or yeah. with other family. Yeah, right. Um. So Faith Harris had two young children: Chadney Jr., who was eleven, and Kara, who was eight. Faith and Gregory were married just two years after his release from prison. Gregory got a job at Detroit Metro Airport. Which can we just talk about that for a minute? I had my purse robbed one time when I packed it in my suitcase at Detroit Metro Airport. Mm -hmm. And he probably fucking did it. He probably did do it. Motherfucker. My problem is that I can't take a fucking bottle of shampoo in my carry-on, but they can hire convicted murderers to work in the airport. Of course. What? Where was this? But this was pre-9-11, right? No. This was in 2008, 9, and 10. Oh. Yeah, no. No. That's some bullshit right there. So anyway, um, Gregory, Faith, and Faith's kids lived in Dearborn Heights and soon had two daughters of their own. Um, Coy was born in 2010, and Kaylee was born in 2012. Those are really pretty names. I like them. Coy and Kaylee. Um, But the Greens' relationship was a rocky one. Faith filed for divorce in October 2013, just three years after they were married. She also filed for a personal protection order, but a judge denied mm-hmm. the request, citing insufficient allegations. The allegation—it's uh, not insufficient if she feels unsafe. He murdered his first wife already. Right, right. And you know it. He he confessed and he served time for murder. So if and his new wife is saying I'm afraid of him, I right. think that's fucking valid. Right. Um. <laughs> one would think, but apparently. <sighs> There was no mention that he'd already killed one wife on Faith's petition for the protection order. And according to the courts, it is the responsibility of the person filing the order to include any pertinent information on the petition. So they don't actually look into that person's background. They just go by what you write and why you're afraid and why you want protection. That seems like a really good process. Right. I mean, she definitely should have mentioned that he was a convicted murderer on her protection order I mean, she really should have been thorough. It is definitely her fault that it was denied. What the fuck, man? Yeah. Come on. Okay. Um, So Faith eventually withdrew her divorce petition, but then she filed for divorce a second time in August of 2016, um, at which point she was determined to leave her wicked husband once and for all. Um, Gregory Green had other plans, though. 
On September 21st, 2016, at 1.15 a.m., Gregory placed a call to 911 and told the operator that he just killed four people. Oh, my God. I remember this story. Yeah. Police responded to the green home where they found 39-year-old Gregory waiting for them in the driveway. What they discovered inside the house was like something out of a horror movie. Faith was in the basement, bound with tape and zip ties. She was wounded and bloody, but she was alive. Unfortunately, the same could not be said for her children. The first time Gregory Green decided to kill his family, he murdered his wife while her children looked on helplessly. The second time, he did the exact opposite. Oh, my God. Enraged that Faith had once again filed for divorce, Gregory attacked her, dragged her to the basement, tied her up, gagged her, beat her, slashed her face with a box cutter, and shot her in the foot. He then forced her to watch as he brought her two older children downstairs and shot them both execution style. Oh, my God. Chadney was 19, a recent graduate of the Spex Howard School of Broadcasting with a certificate in digital media arts. 16-year-old Kara was an honor student and a cheerleader. They both died instantly. Upstairs, Green took the two younger girls, his own children, from their beds as they slept and placed them in a car that he'd rigged to fill with carbon monoxide. It was the method he used to kill them that proved premeditation. While shopping at Home Depot a week earlier, Green bought a plastic hose to alter the exhaust system on his car. He used duct tape to attach the hose to his muffler and then ran the hose back into the car. Five-year-old Koi, known as Princess Koi, who always had to be the center of attention, and her four-year-old sister Kaylee, who loved to sing and do ballet, died in their sleep. Their father then moved their bodies back into their bedroom. All four of Faith's children were murdered by her husband while she was tied up, helpless, unable to save them. Gregory Green pleaded guilty to second-degree murder, torture, and assault with intent to do great bodily harm. He was sentenced to 47 to 102 years in prison. He will not be eligible for parole until he is 97. At his sentencing, the judge told him, Fathers are supposed to protect their children. Husbands are supposed to protect their wives. Your actions are inconceivable. And that is the story of Gregory Green, the family annihilator who murdered his family not once, but twice. I'm grossed out by him. Yeah. That makes me so sad. Yeah. So, okay, I'm sorry. Faith is alive now. Faith is still alive. God, I feel And her father, who lost all four of his grandchildren, was the man that called the murder of Gregory Green's first wife a mishap. I'm sure he's kicking himself now. I mean, I couldn't imagine the guilt, um, and I feel like we did enough victim blaming in your story. Uh, (laughs) Nothing that he said made it, it he didn't deserve that they didn't deserve that the kids didn't deserve that faith didn't deserve that for deciding to marry someone right. who'd already murdered a wife right. he didn't the children didn't deserve that That's because right. their grandpa was a dick but their grandpa was a dick because i bet life matters a lot more to you now than it did when you called the murder of a pregnant woman woman in front of her two children a mishap right you know like right i don't know anyway oh, it makes me sad i know it super sad all right, guys, file dump time. Um, we did not do a file dump last week, so we're going to make up for it this week by telling you our worst stories. So this is open to interpretation. 
It can be funny, embarrassing, or just the worst we're, we've ever done. Um, so what's the first thing, Jen, that comes to mind when I say, what's the worst story you know? The worst thing I've ever done? Mm-hmm. It's <laughs> it's so terrible. Oh, my God. I can't wait. Okay. So it starts out pretty morbid and just gets more morbid. Gross. Um, I've mentioned this before. Um, when I was 15, uh, one of my best friends, my best childhood friend, died in a car accident. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually mentioned her in an episode without mentioning her name when we talked about Stan Casey mm-hmm. um, and his friend Dave that was left the party with him that night and got into another vehicle. Um, Dave was actually Anna's uncle. Oh, um, and really? So, yes. Yep. And so that's just kind of oh a family connection. But Okay. Um, yeah, so she and I were very good friends growing up. Our dads were best friends and mm-hmm. her uncle. Uh, you know, they were all friends, and so we grew up together. Um, she died when we were 15, um, and I still visit her at the cemetery where she's buried, at the same mm-hmm. cemetery that Stan That's Casey sweet. is buried at. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm still I, – I still am in contact with her mom. Um, we talk here and there. You know, she – I send her Christmas cards. Um, mm-hmm. That's cool. We – she came to my son's open house a couple years ago. Uh-huh. You know, like we're still in contact. Sure. Um, so this was maybe a few years ago. Um, it was, I believe, either Anna's birthday or the anniversary of the accident. And I went to the cemetery to visit her and her mom was there. And so we were talking. We were kind of sitting on the grass near her grave, and we were cleaning it up a bit. I mean, this was 1995, so she's been there for many right. years now. Um, mm-hmm. So we were kind of, you know, cleaning up the dirt and things and um, pulling the weeds and all of that around her headstone. And she doesn't have one of the raised ones up out of the ground. It's one of the ones that's in the ground. Oh. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there was this dirt um, kind of around the edges and I tried to wipe a little bit of it off. Denny tried to wipe a little bit of it off. Mm-hmm. And it was just kind of, it wasn't. Oh, no. I it, think I know where this is going. It wasn't coming off. And it was more just like smearing oh, gosh. and sticking like to our hands, to the grave. Um, and so at one point, Denny goes, well, I've got water in my car. So she goes and gets a bottle of water and she dumps the water on it. And we're trying to wipe it off. And this is just making a bigger mess. It's turning like... I don't, it's making it worse. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm like, what is this? Seriously? Why? Like, we can't, it won't just wipe off. It's like dirt just wipes off. Why is this not working? Because <laughs> it's someone. And all of a sudden, Denny's eyes get real big and she goes, oh, God, I know what it is. And I've got it all over my hands and oh she's got God. it all over her hands. And I was like, what is it? And she goes, it's Mike. Anna's dad had passed. And again, this is a man I knew my whole life. Um, <laughs> he had recently passed and he'd been cremated. And they took some of his ashes to her grave oh. and scattered them for some reason on her headstone directly. And I had them all over you, all over my hands. And oh my that's gosh. my worst story. Could you wash fast enough? I mean, I had to go all the way home first. Ooh, like I get the willies thinking about that. And I, it's like in that moment, it was such a shocking moment. Right. We just kind of stared at each other and it was, do we cry? 
Right. I kind of wanted to vomit a little bit. Was she still married to him? No, they had been divorced for many years, even before Anna died. Okay. So many, many years they had been divorced. Um, And then we both just, she started laughing. She laughed first. So then I started laughing. Um, And we talked about it later. And she said, I mean, it was such an Anna move. So something that she would (laughs) absolutely orchestrate. Right. To make somebody laugh or to just gross them right, right the out. fuck on out. That's so funny. Um, but that is my worst story. That is a good one. I Playing can't Playing in it. the wet ashes of my deceased friend's deceased father. Oh, that is not where my head went when you said worst story. No. No? I was working one day. And this, I'm really putting myself out there with oh, this no. story. I can't wait. But I want to make everybody laugh. My Mine's a funny. Good. And we've all been there, so I'm just allowing you all now to share your story with me. So I was working one day. I was with a client. And... So this is recent. It's recent. Okay. Mm-hmm. That makes it better. I'm like, my stomach hurts really bad. Oh, God. It hurts so fucking bad. I'm like, I gotta go to the bathroom. So she leaves where we are, and I'm meeting her at a new location. So I was like, I'll meet you there. I'm gonna use the bathroom real quick. I'll be right there. Okay, that's fine. I take care of business. I had to go. It was like I was ill. Right. So I'm like, okay, I'm fine. Meet her at the next place. I was not okay. You were not fine yet. All of a sudden, my stomach is like ripping and roaring and i'm i have the pain like i call it the dp the diarrhea pain oh god it's so bad it is so so bad and we're we wrap things up really quick i call dave and i'm like i'm supposed to relieve him from he's supposed to go to a meeting when i get home And we're swapping child. (laughs) Swapping child? You're giving him one, he's giving you a different one? Yeah, uh-huh. You're handing off. We're handing off, yeah. (laughs) We're swapping child duties, I'll say that. (laughs) So I call him and I'm like, I'm going to be late. I got to find a gas station or something. Oh, God, that's the worst. He's like, okay, it's fine. Don't worry about it. So I find a Wendy's. (laughs) I bark. And I start walking towards, I don't even fucking make it to the front door. I don't want you to finish. With every step I take, I'm shitting my pants. (laughs) Like straight just shit my pants. And I'm like, I can't go any further because it's going to just start coming out of my pants. No, stop. (laughs) So I get back in my car. You know how many people you're telling this to right now? I know. (laughs) They're all laughing at me. But it's okay. Share Share your stories with me. No, 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 no. We've all shit our pants. No. I have a thing about bodily fluids. Don't oh. share your shit stories, please. You can I don't just, want to hear you them. You can direct message me. Direct message Danny put the, your diary. Put the title stories. saying, I shit my pants too. <laughs> and then I'll read it. I seriously just was like, you've got to be kidding. So I get back in the car. I'm about 20 minutes from home. I'm riding home in you my shit. own shit. I cannot. I call Dave and I'm like, okay, I'm on my way home, but you need to make yourself scarce because I have shit myself <laughs> and I need to go and get in the shower. <laughs> True love. It's been like two years later and he's still with me. Thank oh God. Oh my God. But 
That's my story. That's my horrible, horrible story. But I've learned to just laugh at myself about it. Okay. Because shit happens. (laughs) Like, literally, it happens. Okay, so here's my thing. You're telling it in our Father's Day episode, and I think that's so perfect because... At the top of the show, you talked about, you know, how lucky you were and that you've got this great husband Mm -hmm. and holy shit, Dave. I know he's a good one. What a great husband. Because not many men would still be like, I want to be romantic with that chick. (laughs) She has shit her pants and I still love her. So Put it on a coaster. So that is my horrible, horrible story. Oh, my But I laugh God. at myself, so it really doesn't seem no, that horrible. At that, the time, I think I cried. Mm, I would cry. But. Oh, God. It's right. a good one. Well, anyway, so that's it. Thank you guys so much for joining us today. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Patreon at So Dead Podcast. You can also find us online at SoDeadPodcast.com and email us your feedback and story ideas and shit ideas. No, no shit. shit stories to no SoDeadPodcast at gmail.com. Now get out there and shine. You magnificent what the fuck. Seriously, no shit stories. <laughs> <laughs>